Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Romans, the Gospel for Sinners. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Let's look together. Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 14. We're going to look at verses 14 through 23. Here now, the reading of God's Word. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, so that it depends not on human will or exertion but on God, who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very reason I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you? O man, to answer back to God. Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order that to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom He has called, not from the Jews, but also the Gentiles. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to Him in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, that we would ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you'd open our hearts and our minds. Your scripture has been read and so your word is to be proclaimed and we want to hear it. We desire to hear it with joy. And so we pray that by your spirit that you would bless us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Paul references Pharaoh in the Exodus account. I want you to think through this with me. Uh, Think back in Exodus, all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. God called Moses with a specific purpose. And to, to summarize it, God said, Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. He says to Moses, Come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And it was in humility and probably fear as well that Moses responded to God. And do you remember what he said? He said, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? Moses, at that point, did not fully understand that his identity was integrally tied to him who had called him. And so Moses asked, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, 
The God of your fathers has called me, has sent me to you. And they ask of me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? It's a fair question, isn't it? To know there is a God is good. To know his name is essential. Of course, we must be careful here. Not to, as Calvin encourages us, not to go beyond what God's word reveals. As Wendell Berry cautions, any definition is a limit. Which is why the God of Exodus refuses to define himself. Saying to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. Think about that. Derived from this statement is the revealed, the revered word and name of God. Four Hebrew consonants we translate it as Yahweh. It's a proper noun derived from the Hebrew verb, the Hebrew verb to be, formed into a noun, Yahweh, the God who is you might say. Now, as many of you know, in your English translations, when you're reading through the Old Testament and you come across the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord, that is the Hebrew word Yahweh. And I don't want to chase this rabbit too far, but it is fascinating to think about the history of translation. Some wonder, well, why would we not put just Yahweh, or Y-H-W-H, as some translations do. Why do most translations in English use the word Lord? And it's actually pretty fascinating. When the Hebrew Scriptures were translated from Hebrew into Greek, in what we call the Septuagint, the translators did not transliterate, we would say, that Hebrew word Yahweh. They used an existing Greek word. Kyrios. Kyrios. That existing Greek word is translated in English, Lord. And what is fascinating is in our New Testament, some of the New Testament writers drew from, in fact, direct quotations from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Septuagint. And they would use that Greek word, Kyrios. In fact, Kyrios Yesu Christos. Do you know what that means? The Lord Jesus Christ. And so, it's right that our English translations will use, borrowing from the translation history in the Septuagint, to translate the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh. There's no additional charge for that information, just intermission. But the point is, is that the Lord, Yahweh, tells Moses to go to the people of Israel. And you remember what he said? He said, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered Throughout all generations. And what Moses learned was far from just a name, wasn't it? He learned who God is. I am called Moses and sent him. And as called and as sent, 
Moses went first to Israel, and then he went to Pharaoh as God had instructed him. But Pharaoh's reception of the word of God was far different than Moses' reception of it. Moses said to Pharaoh, quote, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And what Moses delivered to the king of Egypt was the very word of God. Not a request, but a command from I am who I am. But unlike Moses, Pharaoh's response was neither humble, nor was it fearful. But it was telling. Pharaoh did not say, who am I? But he said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I'm, I'm just going to insert here. If I'm God at that point, I use the lightning strike, right? <laughs> but God who is patient and merciful does not. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? <laughs> Revealing not only a lack of knowledge, but also a hardened heart. Pharaoh tragically confessed, I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Though often overshadowed by the subsequent plagues, it is actually Pharaoh's response that underlies God's judgment. Who is the Lord, Pharaoh said. We often think of the plagues upon Egypt through the lens of Israel's redemption. And indeed, Israel was ultimately delivered. But that was not the ultimate reason. God's ultimate reason for decimating Egypt is found in his answer to Pharaoh's question. And it's found later in chapter 9 of Exodus, when God says to Pharaoh, For this reason, for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. It's just conjecture, but I think it took destruction and death. For Pharaoh to learn something about himself and maybe to have learned about the Lord. Though Pharaoh's culture taught him that he was the embodiment of the Egyptian gods. The revelation of God's power revealed to Pharaoh that he was just a man. And it was not as a so-called God, but as a man that Pharaoh witnessed the awesome power of the one true God. And one may wonder, at least, at least I wonder, after which plague did Pharaoh have his identity crisis? As we might say. <laughs> I mean, perhaps never. But surely, surely he thought that he was changed, or his thought changed from when Moses first delivered the word of God to when Egypt's army was destroyed in the Red Sea. And it's not an enviable position to have a false impression of who you are before God. But of course, our culture, flan, fan, easy for you to say, fans the flame of this, don't they? 
fanning the flame of individual sovereignty of self. I mean, even in our own day, we have witnessed the replacement of we the people with me the person. (laughs) And watched as community has moved into individuality. As one earthly 20th century thinker put it, the inferior judges the superior. Ignorance sets bounds to wisdom. Error prevails over truth. The human is substituted for the divine. Earth has priority over heaven. And the individual sets the measure of all things. This is most tragic as we consider ourselves in relation to God. Where we seem to be less willing to ask, who am I? Or even what Pharaoh asked, who is the Lord? But instead, God, who do you think you are? At the root of this problem, at the root of this problem, it's nothing new, is the age-old problem, one of identity before God. And it is right and it is fitting for us to ask, who are you? Who are you? To answer this, perhaps we should begin by asking, who are you not? According to God's word, you are neither prosecutor nor judge. Now, God loved Esau and hated Esau, or rather, God loved Jacob and hated Esau before either were born, which may strike you as unjust. God had no compassion, but he hardened Pharaoh's heart, leading to nationwide destruction and the death of of many, which may strike you as unmerciful. God has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills, which you may think is tyrannical. And God reveals his power that his name may be proclaimed in all the earth, which to you may sound egotistical. But the problem with each and all of these opinions is that they assume an authority you don't have. Who are you? Let's start with this. You are not God. And nor am I. We were created from dust. Mere human beings. Not the creator. Look at verse 20 with me. Who's the molder? Not you. Not me. He is the molder. We are the molded. Look at verse 21. Who's the potter? Not you. Not me. He's the potter. What are we? We're the clay. And as such, it is neither your prerogative nor your privilege to answer back to God or to question, God, why do you do what you do? You may fight this in arrogance, revealing your ignorance. God does what He does, not according to your reason or for your approval, but for His pleasure. And the glory of his sovereign power over his creatures. Yet, there is more to you and me than a lump of clay. 
If you, like Pharaoh, are not of the elect, though you were created in God's image, you were molded like clay into a vessel of wrath, whose sole purpose is to reveal God's patience in your sustenance and His power in your destruction. You are a living, breathing bearer of God's wrath, personally, awaiting imminent judgment and doomed to eternal torment, both body and soul. You were created for destruction. Did I mention that we're having a fellowship lunch today? You're at Covenant Presbyterian Church. But if you look in faith to Christ alone, confirming not your reprobation, but your predestination, you are not a vessel of God's wrath, but His glory. Even, even, even in this moment, those present... Those watching by video, even in this moment, do not assume your destiny. But call on the name of the Lord for salvation. For God's word is clear. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one is, one rather confesses and is saved. And it's in that context, I ask you, who are you in Christ? You're a sinner saved by God's grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. You're now a new creation. You're not a slave to sin, nor a child of wrath, but a child of God. In Christ, you were blessed with every spiritual blessing. Saved from death, brought into life, and truly, truly, deeply loved by God. You're a citizen of heaven. You're also a co-heir of the kingdom with Christ. And together in the visible church, Peter reminds all of us, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, united with all who are in Christ. We are a people who have received God's mercy. Neither a prosecutor nor a judge. But in Christ, you are a child of God. But just as Moses learned that his identity was integrally tied to who God is, well, such is the case with us. Which should lead you and me to ask the question, well, then who is God? Who is God? When God revealed his name to Moses, he was revealing more than a name, wasn't he? I am who I am. The Westminster Shorter Catechism helpfully teaches us God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And because of who God is, he's sovereign over all. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth. And it is then really astounding 
for us to think, knowing this, knowing who God has revealed himself to be, it is astounding to think that when in the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. It is quite extraordinary for us to consider long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He who revealed himself to Moses as I am, who I am, revealed himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said to the unbelieving Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. For he who is, and who was, and who is to come, is the Lord. And it is in Christ alone that God redeems his elect as, and I love this, in verse 23, as, how does he refer to us? Vessels of mercy. He redeems his elect as vessels of mercy, which he prepared when? Beforehand. Beforehand for glory. To make known what? Look at verse 23 with me. Why did God do this? To make known the riches of his glory. Isn't that beautiful? God did this beforehand, preparing us as vessels of mercy for the riches of His glory. Understanding who we are. Understanding who God is. Understanding that He predestined us and He redeemed us as vessels of mercy. I ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ, how does this affect how we live? Because it should. If you understand who you truly are as a vessel of mercy, if you understand who truly God is as the great I am, it ought to change us. It ought to change the way that we live. And so I ask you, how do we live in light of this? Well, it's not an exhaustive list, but in looking at this text, first, let us humbly trust the Lord. Let us humbly trust the Lord. When God says, I will have mercy on whomever I have mercy, I will have compassion on whomever I have compassion, even when we don't understand, let us not cry injustice. But let us say, as the priest Eli did, He is the Lord. Let Him do what is right in His eyes. If He loves Jacob and hates Esau, do not question why, but trust Him humbly, knowing that His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And His ways are higher than our ways. They are higher than you and I can comprehend. The secret things belong to the Lord, God said. So leave them to Him. Well, this show, secondly, compassion and mercy as God has shown compassion and mercy to us. Our standard for mercy, incidentally, in case you were wondering, our standard for mercy is not our neighbor. Our standard for mercy is not us. 
What's our standard for mercy? Well, quite clearly, Jesus said, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. He's our standard. He who is merciful, so also is the standard of our mercy. Just as we are not God's judge, we're not our neighbors either. Jesus said being a neighbor is defined by, according to his parable, is defined by showing mercy. And James taught mercy triumphs over judgment. If we are indeed vessels of mercy, well, it just stands to reason, doesn't it, that mercy would flow out of us. I think of the vessel almost as if a, a pitcher was to, was to be poured out of us. Well, if we're vessels of mercy, mercy should be poured out of us. And then finally, let us humbly yet fervently rejoice in the sovereign grace of God. Let us humbly yet fervently rejoice in the sovereign grace of God. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined. And he called and he justified as vessels of mercy. Why he has done this, no one knows. That he has done this, God's word is crystal clear. And so we rejoice that he's the potter and we're the clay. That he molds and makes us after his will. Conforming us, not left alone like a lump of clay, but conforming us by His Holy Spirit into the image of Jesus Christ. And so as vessels of mercy we pray, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only. Always living in me. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for your mercy and your grace upon us. The undeserving, and yet we rejoice in it. We pray that you would forgive us when we have questioned in our hearts. And lead us rather to look what you have done and what you are doing, and rejoice. May all honor and glory be to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m., our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.